Welcome to Flyline Podcast, where we enjoy the interesting stories behind the legendary guides and luminaries connected to Maine fishing. I'm Michael Jones. Our special guests today are the Commissioner of the Maine Department of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife, Judy Camuso, and our Governor of the State of Maine, Janet Mills. Judy Camuso was nominated to serve as Commissioner of the Department of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife by Governor Mills and is the first woman to lead the department, overseeing the preservation, protection, and enhancement of the inland fisheries and wildlife resources of the state. Judy was the Director of the Wildlife Division for IFNW since 2013 and has been with the department since 2007. As director, she oversaw the development and implementation of policy decisions, legislative proposals, and rules related to the Wildlife Division, and coordinated a budget of $12 million to manage Maine's wildlife, and was the department's voice on all matters regarding Maine's wildlife. Commissioner Camuso has over 20 years' experience with the department and also Maine Audubon, and has led several statewide natural resource initiatives as wildlife director for IFNW. She began her career in the department as an assistant regional wildlife biologist in southern Maine, then advanced to the special projects coordinator for the department before being promoted to wildlife division director. Her department is charged with the protection and management of fish, non-game wildlife, and habitats, as well as restoration of endangered species, like the bald eagle. The agency's constituents include the fish, wildlife, and people who call Maine home as well as visiting outdoor enthusiasts and eco-tourists who visit Maine and contribute hundreds of millions of dollars each year to the state's economy. In 2018, Camuso was named one of Maine Magazine's 50 Mainers of Maine, and in 2015, she received IFNW's Employee of the Year Governor's Award. She is a licensed bird bander and an avid birder, as well as a hunter who canoes, hikes, and bikes. Governor Janet Mills has many firsts in her decorated professional and political career. Janet was the first woman district attorney in New England, the first and still only woman Maine attorney general, and Maine's first woman governor, having been recently reelected with more votes than any governor in Maine history. In my life, I have witnessed Janet perform and serve as an inspiration and ardent voice for the people of Farmington, Franklin County, and the state of Maine through her vision, leadership, and guidance. People that know Janet admire her for her compassion, empathy, and ability to make real and deep connections that improve the lives of the people that she touches, my own included. Janet enjoys activities such as tennis, hiking, boating, and of course, fly fishing. She met her late husband Stan when she signed up for a tennis lesson and Stan was the instructor. Janet and Stan lived in a gorgeous farm on the South Strong Road in Franklin County and had riverfront on the Sandy River, where they could readily fish from their own property with fly rods in hand. We have a lot to talk about. I want to take the opportunity to introduce the Flyline Podcast audience to our Commissioner of IFNW, Judy Camuso, and our Governor, Janet Mills. Judy and Janet, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Mike. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for visiting the State House and um, coming to talk to Judy and me. Um, It's a pleasure to talk about something other than budgets and new (laughs) laws and regulations and because we all we both enjoy the outdoors. And so do most of my cabinet and my staff Mm -hmm. as well. We've had some interesting excursions together to cabinet and staff who feel like family to me and we love being in the outdoors. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me and I'm really happy to be here and be able to share some of our uh, experiences and vision and um, great work that we're doing. Yeah, you are doing great work. And, um, you know, the ideas we were talking about earlier is just not to talk about budgets, like Janet said, but to talk about the things that make our heart go pitter pat. And so just feel free to share and open up about any stories that we have to share. But um, I do want to take the opportunity to to recognize uh, the great accomplishment that you've taken on, Judy, with uh, becoming the first woman commissioner for Department of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife. And my family, I've come from master main guides, two generations, and um, I spent a lot of time in the building that you work in, uh, yeah. testing guides, working with the guides uh, in you know association, whatnot. But um, I know that I remember there was a lot of discussion about you being uh, the right person uh, to narrow the gap between the hunting and fishing community and folks that would self-describe as naturalists or non-consumptive conservationists. How's that experience gone? You mean birders and hikers? <laughs> yeah, that's what I do mean. Yeah. Narrow the gaps. How, how's that yeah. going? I mean, I, I think it's great. I've never um, seen the significant divide. I've always seen the two groups as closely aligned. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as 
an avid birder and somebody who hunts and fishes, you know, for me, those two worlds overlap, like, you know, two thirds of the circles overlap. Um, and I would say, you know, as a birder, you know, the sort of success to, to finding good birds is one getting out there, but also kind of knowing the habitat you're in this time of year, you know, kind of where to look for what and all those same tools apply or skills apply when you're hunting or fishing. So, um, I've always maintained that the two groups are very, very similar. Um, and I work very closely with, you know, folks from Maine Audubon, the Nature Conservancy, Maine Coast Heritage Trust, as well as the Sportsman's Alliance in Maine, you know, Maine Professional Guides, Maine Trapper Association. So I, I think the two really come together m- way more often than, than they're divided. She's both a consumptive and a non-consumptive birder. Absolutely. She likes <laughs> watching birds, identifying birds, but then she goes out in the fall and goes bird hunting. Do. I don't we mind eating them either. No, they. I, to me, it's like I see a bacon double cheeseburger with wheat and corn. Whenever I see a grouse in my testimony. We've gone bird hunting together. Did oh, you yeah. Know yeah, yeah at that yeah, time yeah. with yeah. us? Yeah. I think Tom Abello got a, yeah. Well, we had some night. We, we, got we got cooked a, a nice yeah. dinner that night. Yeah. Other members of the cabinet were included. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's Consumptively. Yeah. <laughs> well, and we were trying to find a balance, right? Yeah. She also, let me just say, was it a year ago we went out looking for the stellar sea eagle, mm-hmm. oh, which was, day. which is, I think, back in Maine, back sort of commuting to Maine, a rare bird, huge eagle, apparently came from Russia, went through Canada and ended up in on, on the coast of Maine and was seen by hundreds of people. We went out looking for it one cold day yeah. and uh, went out on a Marine patrol boat with other cabinet members with us, equally curious. And, um, She's the one looking through the telescope, you know, kept saying, stop this boat. <laughs> you know? Really? Really? And we pull up, you know, yeah. set anchor and look and look. And she found the Stellar's eagle in a for tree. Us, for us. I found Wait, it that day. You, your eagle eye identified <laughs> the bird that caused so much commotion and brought tourists, bird tourists to me. And I, it was an incredible sight. First sitting in the tree, I yeah. thought, eh, okay, looks like an eagle. It is an yeah. eagle. But when it took off, oh, my so, God, the wingspan and yeah. the beautiful. It's got distinctive markings as oh, how they identify it, you know, as an individual. That was, And then in the fall, she um, traps those little saw-wet owls and tags them and stuff. Or I have a question about oh, that. Oh, you go ahead. Talk about no, saw-wet owls. Let's I've talk seen, about the saw-wet owls. i participated in that, too. Yeah. No, so, I mean, uh, for the audience, the saw-wet owl is a very small owl. Yeah. I think it's the smallest owl native to Maine. Am I right? In Maine, yeah. And uh, uh, Judy is a specialist in it. Tell us about the work that you've done, what you've learned. Yeah, so as you uh, said in my intro, I am a licensed bird bander, so I have been uh, banding saw-wet owls for most of 25 years in my backyard in the fall uh, when they are migrating south. So, um, you know, when I first started my career, people didn't realize that saw what's migrated at all. Uh, and people started seeing them sort of disproportionate numbers of them kind of in the Cape May area. And people started thinking, geez, I wonder if these are not residents, if these birds have migrated south. And so, um, you know, quickly people realized that the way to do that is to track individuals through banding. Um, and we were one of the earlier uh, banding stations to set up, and we started uh, right in our backyard with just three three mist nets, and we play an audio lure uh, of the Sawet greeting call. She's an owl whisperer. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so you get them to fly into a kind yeah, of an invisible like, net. It's almost will. like yeah, it's like a giant hair net. So oh, it's like it's, you know, ten feet high, forty feet long, and it works. Yeah, they fly in and they they fall into like a little hammock. And then we go out and check the nets like every half hour. And then every every time there's a bird, we put it in a little bag, bring it back in the house, take all of these, you know, sort of uh, morphological or, or measurements yeah. um, on the bird, age it and sex it. And we had a bird a banding party at our house one time. Yeah. And these little things, oh, my God, you know, and they have 360 degree <laughs> neck. They have no neck, basically. Their heads <laughs> turn all the way around you. But they're so soft and yeah. pretty. Yeah, Unbelievable. Yeah. How's the population doing? It's great, stable, and you know the the best thing about the 
that's always been for me as being able to share it with other people. Yeah. And so we regularly have people over as the governor uh, indicated, and they are really so captivating mm -hmm. and they're so adorable that, yeah. you know, I think they really do a good job helping people to understand some of the biology of owls mm -hmm. and um, just get them more connected mm -hmm. to conservation. So um, I've done that for pretty much my whole adult life. Really? Yeah. 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 I understand you were interested in maybe getting into veterinary medicine and then <laughs> you, really? you did you did, did some digging. I always, I always do. I apologize if you feel invaded, but Small no, I, 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 yeah. I, the reason I invite the people on is I'm fascinated with the work they've done and, yeah. and you definitely yeah. are uh, someone who, who qualifies. So yeah. Um, yeah, tell us a little bit about your career and how you got to, uh, you know, like I know you were in Audubon before that, after that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I went to school initially for veterinary medicine and I, I, you know, quickly realized it was animal behavior that was my passion mm -hmm. and being outside. And so I, I switched uh, over to wildlife biology and I, as most people do, uh, at least when I graduated, work a bunch of seasonal jobs, you know, for several years and, and get experience. Mm -hmm. uh, and then ultimately I landed uh, at Maine Audubon for a full-time job there as their staff naturalist. And I kind of Worked my way up the ladder there. Um, I stayed there for about 11 years, and then I moved over to the state. Um, when probably the only position in the state I would have left Audubon for was a regional biologist position um, in the in our gray office. So I worked there for seven or so years, and then I came to Augusta and kind of gradually worked my way up the chain. Um, and then I'd always wanted to be commissioner. Um I didn't, you know, but I, I didn't know exactly how one got to be commissioner <laughs> because it's, you know, generally more of a, like it is a political appointment, but it's not often that somebody with a professional background, you know, is actually. I don't think I've met you before I interviewed you. For, she's not somebody I knew politically no, or no, professionally no. at all. No, and I, I think that, that happened. <laughs> I, think, I think it makes her uniquely qualified yeah. for the job. It because, does, really. Um, I think people, they, you know, sometimes come from a political background. It's, yeah. uh, they don't have the perspective. I mean, Judy, you're a biologist. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah. there's a lot to be said about your the integrity of the work that you do. And you're always taking the scientific approach. Right. Not the political approach, yeah. not letting things influence your your thinking about it. And I'm a, I have a science degree as well. So, yeah. but um, yeah. we could talk about you for the whole no, time. But we want to talk to Janet to talk too. She's got an excellent relationship with the committees of jurisdiction to the IFNW committee and the legislature, and they listen to her because she has that scientific background, and professional background. So, Janet, let's talk about your fly fishing. Ooh. How did you learn how to fly fish? Uh, let me think. I think in college I started fishing. And I had friends who fished, and then some of my high school classmates fished. Well, you know, Susie Pearson, Donna Bergman, Marie. Well, anyway, it ended up being sort of a, a girl weekend away kind of thing. Yeah. And we would go up to Parmachini and get the warden service to open the gate and things like that. And it was like camping, playing cards, drinking a little wine, and fly fishing. Yeah. And um, exploring different places in the western Maine outdoors. I remember having some great trips to, um, see, we did Pierce Pond, we did um, Third Roach Pond, we did, we did um, Canabago, we did, um, anyway, and, and my husband would go fishing now and then too. It's not as fun fishing with your husband, I got to say. <laughs> That, it depends on who your husband Unless is. Unless it's my husband. Yeah. <laughs> well, your husband is an expert and brings the best equipment and works for L.O.B. Oh, okay. Um, but, you yeah, know, uh, it, it was it's a good weekend away. Um, yeah, you enjoy it. No no internet, no TV, no phones. No. Yeah, just getting getting away, getting out and doing a little hiking, you know, wearing your boots and stuff. Just kicking around, seeing the great outdoors. Yeah, that's wonderful. And sometimes catching a fish. So we talked about sawwood owls. That was one of my next questions for Judy. We just kind of segued right into that. Um, Gina, let's talk a little bit about um, main guiding uh, during COVID. Was It was interesting because something surprised me. My phone rang a lot. I, I mean, I still mm -hmm. do. I still guide, although I work in another profession. Uh, my phone rang a lot from a lot of the people that I had been guiding in Maine over 20, 30 years that I hadn't heard from in a little while because they didn't have a choice. They really wanted to get out and do something. And uh, being in the fresh air during COVID was imperative. Yeah. Uh, everyone wanted to get out. Right. And um, I would just say, you know, you, your department did a great job um, with, with Maine Health's response page on the state CDC website. Many healthy Mainers went on guided trips to keep the guiding community mm -hmm. alive. 
Um, can you speak? I mean, those were some difficult times. You were basically steering the ship. And I just want to say to you, I, from my observation point, you did a fantastic job. Thank you, Mike. And we were pleased uh, to be um, cited by the Commonwealth Fund, for instance, as one of the two best states in the country in terms of our healthcare response. The other one was Hawaii. All they had to do was close their airport for crying out loud. We had a much bigger challenge. But anyway, and economically it was tough because the Canadian border was closed all that time uh, and um, only recently fully reopened. So we didn't have the traffic coming in from Canada, which is vital to our economy too. Uh, but people did go outdoors. Maine, as you know, the state of Maine has 48 uh, different campgrounds and um, monuments and whatnot. And so we took the time to uh, to to improve, use federal funds to improve those campgrounds and uh, recreational areas that we support. Uh, and people came to Maine to be outdoors. They did. Uh, campgrounds and, and state parks that you're familiar with, which oh, yeah. never used to see many people there. You know, you go up to Rangeley, you'd see Rangeley oh, State Park. Right. Now it's full. Um Lily, Lily Bay in Greenville, beautiful state park with sandy beaches, tall pines, beautiful views, mountain views. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't see many people there in the past. And now they're filled up. And this year when we opened up for reservations, man, the phone lines and the, and the online reservations were full up immediately. So we welcome people. We're expanding them and improving them and making them very hospitable uh, because it's the thing to do, thing to be, and it's reason, the, one of the good reasons people come to Maine in, in enjoying clean air, clean water, hikes, mountains, streams, and lakes, and ocean ocean fronts. When you see pictures of Maine, you often see the lighthouses on the coast, which are beautiful. There are a lot of them, but there's also inland Maine, Baxter State Park, northern Maine, northern Maine, which is obviously famous for its snowmobile trails, wide open snowmobile uh, ITS trails, uh, things of that sort that people didn't maybe appreciate as much in the past as they do now. So yeah, we, they were all COVID, uh, eligible activities, uh, during COVID and since COVID. You, you couldn't buy a fly rod. You couldn't wow. buy a bicycle. Yeah. Uh, the, the local retailers were running out of anything yeah. that was connected with getting mm-hmm. connect to the, the outdoors. outdoors were still open. And it, what's that again? The outdoors were still the stone open. The yeah. was, was open. Uh, yeah. That was last year was the first year Sherry and I bought a state uh, a state pass for uh, Sebago Lake State Park. Really? Because it was the place to be. Yeah. Sebago Lake State Park. Have you ever been? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, what a gem. Yeah. I mean, it's just, up. you know, 40 minutes from Portland and right. there's nobody there. Yeah. There but is now, yeah. you and, know, because of COVID. And now people are coming to Maine, moving to Maine, because they can do business here and enjoy the great outdoors. We've expanded broadband all across the state of Maine, so you can work remotely. Right. Uh, and we're continuing to expand it, mm-hmm. so that every every area of Maine is covered with by good internet. So you can work remotely. We have good education system, good healthcare system, uh, and that's all, all of that is attracting to make people to Maine as well. And they know they can enjoy the great outdoors and live a full life and raise a family here. And we have a very clean environment. We do. Yeah. Um, I want to just ask you a little bit of a challenging question. I know, Janet, I've, I've watched you, you know, through your professional career, your political career. You are a professional arguer. <laughs> You're great at it. I mean, you can argue your way out of any situation. I've seen you do it many times before. Um, but politicians and administrations are, are often met with cold handshakes in, in public settings. You might walk into a room, Judy, where half of the room looks at you like banana cream pie. And the other half looks at you like liver and onions. Yeah. How do you prepare yourself when you know you're going to walk into, as an example, the bear referendum? Mm-hmm. That must have been kind of a sticky wicket. Oh, and this woman is so lacking in self-confidence. Honest to God. <laughs> I mean, she's so shy. <laughs> so the qualifications for the job is having right. chutzpah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, honestly, I think most of that just comes from like with the bear referendum, I wholeheartedly believed in our position. So I, I believed the position the department had was the right one. It was based on science. Um, it was based on years of monitoring data mm-hmm. and population data. And, you know, I was confident that we, you know, we were on the, you know, on the right path. And so that makes it a lot easier for mm-hmm. me. So when I am, anytime I'm going someplace to talk about an issue or, you know, whatever the the case may be, I, you know, I, 
I guess at least I have the background and the the science to un- kind of understand where the department is, why we're taking this position. And, you know, I, you know, I, we're not, I'm not always going to agree with, with everybody. And, but as long as people are respectful and professional and can hear you and, you know, there's always opportunity for conversation and kind of trying to meet in the middle. And that's, that's the real balance in the art, I think, of making good policy is trying to come up with, uh, programs that you know can can meet our needs as as biologists and and wildlife managers and you know also make sure that we're providing good opportunity for the constituents of the state um and, you know and I get to watch my boss and and she's the master so I learn from her every time <laughs> yeah I and see I'm sure it. if you have a question about how to manage something you've got the yeah board of directors yeah, yeah. we have some thugs on our team take care of those people that give you a hard time no um and and she's got a great marketing she's done so yeah. much to increase awesome. the marketing yeah. of the ifnw department yeah. too yeah. yeah um i mean i will say you know in my field is 80 percent men and right. so and it still is there's only, that's all there's only, <laughs> there's only four other female directors in the country wow um, and so anytime i go someplace it i am always the minority and i'm always and I, my background is more non-game. And so I do represent that. I bring that to the table. And that's often not, um, you know, the approach that other people, that other directors might have to it. So I am pretty comfortable kind of pushing my vision and, and my agenda because um, I believe in it. And she's also a sports person, sportsman. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in all ways, and they respect her for that too. She's not shy about picking up a rifle and going hunting and, mm-hmm. you know. Fish and hunting, yeah, hiking, sure. yeah. along with the birding. Yeah. Well, change has never met with a warm handshake, and we've seen a lot of it just in my own lifetime living in Maine, all the different things with clear-cutting, all those sort of things, mm-hmm. really, really touchy topics. But in the end, you know, we really still have a great place and uh, and whatnot. So um, fly fishing. You two felt yeah. fly fish together a little bit, I understand. But, you know, I will share. So when I thought of this, when the governor was speaking earlier, because yeah. you asked her the first time she went fly fishing. Yeah. And so I was a newly appointed commissioner. Um, I, I hadn't really met the governor before she hired me. And she invited me to go away fly fishing, which I had never done. Yeah. <laughs> so I went with her yeah. and um, two of her friends, um, Bruce. Oh yeah, I went up to that uh, uh, mud. No, yeah. rump pond. Rump pond. Rump, rump pond. Yeah, sure. Yeah, Bruce Barrel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 His place. And um, <laughs> and they so and I never. I mean, I Jay I was Nelda. so nervous. I'd never been fly fishing, you know. And I, of course, I want to impress my boss, right? You want to think <laughs> well, you're not going to impress anyone on your first day with a fly rod. <laughs> no. But, you know, we had a blast. It was so much fun. It was. We were way out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. With these two people and having having fun. And a knock came on the door. I don't know. Yeah. And it was a couple of game wardens. Yeah. And they said, we have a message for the governor. I go, who could be bothering me on a fly fishing weekend? And it was some press thing Somebody that to- my press people needed an immediate mm-hmm. response for. Oh, my God. But yeah. the wardens were funny. They saw they were- their boss yeah. and her boss and, yeah. and my other people fly, fly fishing. I know. So, but, you know, to answer your earlier question about dealing with people who might be hostile, Honest to God, I think Maine is too small a state yeah. to close any doors or to burn any bridges. And we learn that every day. I, I work with Republicans and Democrats and independents on things as varied as health care, education, and budgets and all that. And then uh, I, this morning I went to a beautiful big breakfast for like 600 people, Vietnam honoring Vietnam veterans up at the Civic Center. And I worked the tables and just said hi to everybody. And I got a very warm response. Now, I know they didn't all vote for me last year. But finding common ground with people is what you have to do. And you always, almost always can, whatever the issue is. I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, So I I do, uh, the next question, Jan, is for you. And that uh, I was blessed with the opportunity to take you and Stan on a drift boat trip years ago, partly because I owed you. Uh, You used to allow me to have access to uh, the Sandy River. I used to drive down with my drift boat across the field and, and put in there. That was at that point really the best section to start because above it there wasn't enough water. Below it, that's really what was holding yep. a lot of the Browns and whatnot. So uh, you had a, a Volkswagen Westphalia and all the right gear, and we had a fun float in Solon <laughs> on the Canterbury that day with Stan. And since you've been governor, have you been invited on some unique trips? As your have you taken advantage of your your your? I mean, has someone called you up that you didn't expect to get a phone call from and say, "Why don't you come fishing with me?" 
I would encourage that phone call <laughs> and welcome it. If you know anybody who well, wants to take I me mean, fishing. I think you went to Kennebago maybe a year or two went ago. went to Kennebago, and I still have the VW, 1985 Westphalia camper, camper van. Yeah. It's in the garage of the Blaine house right now. No I put kidding. some money into it, new motor and stuff like that. And I got to get it. Last year was a campaign year. I didn't get out very much, you know, to do some fun things like that. But I will this year. And still got a lot of gear I got to go through. But yeah, uh, Kennebago, that wasn't guided really. It was just. Well, no. Dick Spencer. Dick Spencer was, yeah, yeah, he was good. Yeah. And um, uh, we didn't go to Grant's camp, but we met the folks from yeah, Grant's camp, two of my friends. We've been striper fishing. Striper fishing oh, on the Canabec. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was guided, sure. Yeah, sure. A couple of times. That was fun. Uh, and just to enjoy the Canabec River. Yeah. People don't realize what, what an asset oh, we have. Gosh, yeah. You know, this is where Carl Yastrzemski fished every April, every spring. And others have fished, and the stripers are running pretty, pretty robustly pretty these years, these days. And yeah. yeah, we've caught some big fish on the on the Kennebec. I say we collectively. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. The, the fish I, I caught, caught the fish of the day last time. So yes, big. I did. We needed she needed to, like help reeling it in. That was a big striper you caught. I, I caught the fish of the day. You did that sure. last one. Yeah, yeah. Last trip. Is it still alive? Yep. We put it back. It yeah, of course. It was June, I think. Yeah, so we put it back. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, I just want to share with you both a, a connection between guiding and uh, land preservation. We were talking mm-hmm. about Dick Spencer. We we're talking about Kennebago, Parmachine, yeah. and all yeah. that. I started guiding a guy 25 years ago who will go unnamed, and he had a lot to do with the pharmaceutical industry down in the Boston area. And he fell in love with the Rangeley area. Yeah. And he involved with the Range of Lakes Heritage Trust just purchased Preserve Forever 3,600 yeah. acres of land. Yeah. If a main guide had not brought him to Rangeley right. one time, yeah. Yeah. that never would have happened. Right. So the connection between guiding, tourism in general, yeah. and and land preservation, they're all it all kind of flows right. yeah. together. And it's just I'm proud to say that that was something that happened. Yeah. Well, Ed Kafori, his his death last year was a loss, and he did so much working with Dick Spencer and the the Rangeley Lakes Heritage folks um, to acquire more land in that area, and the land for May's future, of course. Yeah. We budgeted in the general fund $40 million uh, two years ago. And uh, I mean, and that's a great opportunity yeah. or uh, example of where folks that are supporting sort of game yeah. and game came together and full force worked on that one together. Yeah, easements and working yeah. waterfront and preserving land for, especially for deer wintering areas. That's in the statute right. now. It's yeah. one of the, one of the priorities. Yeah, so, you know, I think a great question that comes from that, Judy, is uh, it was recently announced that you will be serving on the North American Wetlands Conservation Council. Do I have that right? Not that, yeah. And um, share with us the kind of initiatives you see uh, for opportunities for Maine's future, kind of related to what we're talking about here. Sure, yeah. I mean, so as you know, or maybe you don't, NOC is a is a granting entity, so um, significant grants up to $50 million a year nationally. Um, and so I sit on that as, as one of the folks that sort of, um, reviews and then approves the grants. Um, I think in the past five or six years, more over 14 and a half million dollars have come to Maine uh, for land conservation, particularly around wetlands. And so, you know, that's so critical for so many species of wildlife. Um, So, and, you know, it's the first time anyone from Maine's ever sat on that committee. Um, And so sort of having a voice at the national table. I also am on the executive committee for the vice chair of the Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies. Also the first time anyone from Maine has ever sat on the executive committee. So having a voice at the national table and being able to sort of push some of our, you know, agendas and, and our programs is really important. And I think even just the visibility it brings to Maine is phenomenal. Yeah, that's fantastic. I think we're at a good point to take a a short break and then we'll come back in the second half and talk a little bit more about uh, some of the things that we uh, are related to fly fishing with the governor and the commissioner. Thank you. This fly line flashback is about Baxter State Park. Percival Proctor Baxter was an American politician and philanthropist from Maine. He donated several pieces of land to the public domain, including Baxter Woods in Portland, Mackworth Island State Park in Falmouth, and Baxter State Park in Piscataquis County. Most of the land around Katahdin was originally owned by the Great Northern Paper Company. Following the Great Recession of 1929, the company agreed to sell 6,000 acres around the mountain for $25,000 in 1930 to Baxter personally. 
Baxter in turn deeded the land to the state with the provision that it shall forever be used for public park and recreational purposes, shall be forever left in the natural wild state, shall forever be kept as a sanctuary for wild beasts and birds, that no road or ways for motor vehicles shall hereafter ever be constructed thereon or therein. The park was established by 28 donations of land in trust between the years of 1931 and 1962, eventually creating a park of over 200,000 acres in size. Baxter Park is not part of the main state park system. Sole governance is provided by the Baxter State Park Authority, consisting of the Maine Attorney General, the Maine Commissioner of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife, and the Director of the Maine Forest Service. Percival Baxter placed various restrictive covenants on the park so that today it is not actually part of the Department of Conservation, the body that administers the state's other parks. Rather, it is administered by the Baxter State Park Authority. In 1962, at the age of 87, Baxter donated his 28th deed. The park now comprises 314 square miles. Baxter left $7 million to maintain the park. He said, Man is born to die. His works are short-lived. Buildings crumble. Monuments decay. And wealth vanishes. But Katahdin, in all its glory, forever shall remain the mountain of the people of the state of Maine. Now, back to the second half of our interview. Welcome back to the uh, second half of the podcast. I know, Judy, you'd like to talk a little bit about uh, how COVID may have had a positive impact on people getting into the woods and hunting and fishing. Yeah, so when I started as commissioner, um, nationally participation in hunting and fishing was on the decline in some states as much as 50%. We were on a much slower downward trajectory here in Maine. Um, But one of my top goals as commissioner was to kind of reverse that trend or at least stabilize it. Um, and so, you know, we, we had went through a whole strategic plan and trying to create opportunities and remove barriers for participation and try and promote, particularly for me, it was important to promote women, um, in these, uh, outdoor activities. Uh, and then, you know, so we have this great plan. We have, as the governor mentioned, this phenomenal, uh, information and outreach, uh, program that are really good at marketing and targeting specific audiences, uh, and then COVID hit. And so I like to say, uh, you know, good luck is the intersection of opportunity and preparedness, right? So we were prepared. COVID provided an opportunity um, and we were really able to break down barriers and get more people outside in a safe, successful way. And since then, you know, our our downward trajectory has turned around and our license sales are up 10%. The number of women participating is up 30%. Um, and so it's just awesome. Yeah. And I couldn't have like, you know, I couldn't have, if I, you know, in my full eight years as commissioner, in my wildest dreams, I couldn't have anticipated this level of turnaround. And is so, there an association of women yeah. sports like Christine Women and Wildlife? There's a yeah, yeah. Maine Women of the Outdoors, Maine Women Hunters. There's a whole bunch of organizations that we work with. Becoming an outdoor, uh, what is it? Becoming an outdoors woman. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, that's been yeah. going for a little while, but it yeah. just seems like the momentum increases and. Uh, people like Bonnie Holden and, yeah, and oh, she's Celine Dumaine, and they're mm-hmm. just all waving the flag and, and yeah. they're making it. And, and even Emily Bastion, who runs the uh, fly fishing department for, or really the, the fly fishing hunt department for LLB, and she's a young up and coming person, a woman in, in, in our industry Great. as well. And so you mentioned, um, you mentioned earlier, Janet, that uh, Judy likes to hunt. Um, and we were just talking about women accessing hunting. Mm-hmm. You know, you got into hunting as an adult. I did. What was the process like? I mean, you had to take a hunter safety course <laughs> like everyone yeah. else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was honestly, it, and this was one of my biggest frustrations because it was it was a challenge. And so I was at the time wildlife director and I am in every meeting I would go to, I would talk publicly about, I would love to learn to hunt, but it's not that easy. And and I, I would put myself out there and eventually um george smith our mm. governor my one of our good friends um was at a meeting and he said i'm gonna you're gonna come hunting with me um and so i went out with george um you know and he was really my initial uh mentor and person that connected me to the outdoors and it was mm. nothing like what i thought it was gonna be i was like are you kidding me this is 
the men have been hiding this from the women <laughs> all right. these years. That's right. Because it is awesome. It is so opposite of what I thought. It was so relaxing, mm-hmm. restorative, peaceful, you know, to go out and just basically, you know, we were deer hunting. So we would yeah. go and sit and, and listen and be quiet and then we'd move and sit. And it was the most sort of transformative experience I'd ever had. Um, and so I, from then on, I was, I was hooked. Um, and then once I went, um, I think more people realized I was actually serious about my request to learn how to hunt. More and more people started inviting me and taking me out. Um, and now, you know, with my husband, um, Jeff, uh, we have three German short hair pointers. We do a lot of, we hunt, uh, we'll hunt turkeys, we'll hunt deer. We do a lot of upland game hunting. Two years ago, uh, my stepson got a moose permit. So we went moose hunting. Um, so, you know, it's been such a, you're, such a transition. You're turning into a hunter. Oh, yeah. oh gosh. Yeah. 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 So I love Pat Kelleher, our commissioner yeah. of marine yeah. resources Normal. too, is a big also hunter. Yeah. An outdoor and up and game hunter. Great dogs. So I can picture you hunting with George Smith and Mount Vernon yeah, yeah, yeah. on Absolutely. his land yep. when he was still yeah. alive. Absolutely. So George Smith was a very close friend of my father's. Yeah. They worked, uh, oh, yeah. of course, they were selectmen in Mount Vernon. But George and I uh, were about to come to Fifth's down in one of the committee hallways years ago mm-hmm. uh, because we couldn't agree on how we were stocking fish in the state yeah. of Maine. And mm-hmm. he wanted to privatize and I was behind there representing the guys sure. in the department saying, no, we want to keep this as a as a state entity. And um, he looked right at me and he said, we can agree to disagree, but I think we should go hunting together. Yeah. yeah. And that, I think it was a month <laughs> later, we were, we, were up at, uh, we were up at First Rose yeah. Pond area yeah. driving around yeah. with my bird dogs. Yeah. And I was in love with George at the end right. of the day. Yeah. And I love to tell that story because mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. It, it really yeah. goes to show how much we do have in common. Yeah, for sure. And because he was not always the easiest person from my agency, we didn't always, you know, see it. I would visit him. You know, when he would have a list of things yeah, he wanted me to do, that. and I would say, no, 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 maybe, okay, we can do that, you know. We would and, take a lunch over to his yeah. house <laughs> as he was fighting this illness yes. that eventually took his life, and several times would go to his house for lunch, and he, in charge, he was dictating to, to Judy, you got to do this about the ticks, you got to do this about the Yeti, and we'd go, and then Judy said, yeah, but George, here's the deal. And she'd give him the science, and go, well, okay, maybe you're right. <laughs> Uh, he wrote so many wonderful books too about the outdoors in Maine and about restaurants in Maine too. Just a, a great friend of all of ours. Yeah, he did a lot with his retirement uh, when he after after he left Sam. I mean, he was big on promoting um, the the new um, uh, Baxter Waterways. Um, help, I'm sorry, I'm struggling with the name of it. When he, and he invented the Land for Maine's Future. Basically, he put that bill in years ago. Okay. That was his bill. Yeah. And the Outdoor Heritage Fund. Outdoor Heritage Fund, yes. Okay. And um, enormously impactful in the state. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Finding the funds to support our outdoor heritage, the legacy of the state of Maine. Baxter Woods and Waters is what I'm trying to oh. remember. He, he, I think a lot of people didn't expect him to step up. Katahdin Woods and Waters. Thank yeah, you, yeah, yeah, Janet. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm struggling. I haven't had enough coffee. Yeah, yet. that was so controversial. <laughs> I saw Matt Polstein yesterday. Yeah. You know, there's another guy who fought for that legacy. Yes. And um, over some opposition locally. But now they've come around. Yeah. They see that that is an enor- enormous asset to the town, to the towns, Patton, Millinocket, East mm-hmm. Millinocket. And they welcome the business. For the listening audience, Matt Polstein uh, owns a outfitting business up in um, New England Outdoors. Millinocket, New England Outdoor Center. That's exactly right. And Matt Polstein and I went to college together. Did you? Oh, We both went to Hampshire College in Amherst for a while. Didn't he date Abby Holman for a while in college? Him or I? He. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he could have dated Abby Holman. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know that. We did a talk show together. He and Abby and I. Yeah. Abby's. Yes. Gone now. Yeah. 20 years. But that's how my father got into the legislature. That's right, too. That's right, too. His father took Abby's place after she died. Long story. Okay. And something just. And then his mother took his father's place after he died. So, wow. I'll I'll tell that story real quick. I just want to say, (laughs) I want to say one thing, Janet, uh, really quickly. You mentioned about going to George's house and bringing lunch for him in his last days. You did the same for my father. You came to our house. I didn't house. bring lunch, but I did come over. Yeah, you did bring lunch, actually. Oh. <laughs> I remember. And uh, that, was, that was touching because it allowed us to not have to leave his side in the last few days. And it really meant a lot to our family. So my father passes away not long after that. Mm-hmm. And we are no, we're at the house for two hours. And you could hear a pin drop because we're just devastated. Cool. And the phone rings. 
could I speak with Pat Jones, male voice? I said, uh, it's really a bad time. Uh, this is John Baldacci. Yeah. So John called, yes, Mr. Baldacci, Governor Baldacci, I'll put her right on. So he gets her on the phone, he passes his condolences, and he says to her, what does he say to her? You better run. You better run for your <laughs> husband's seat. To what she did and to which she won. Wow. And, what a story. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you. So, yeah, it's just, yeah. it's a great... The we power campaigned of, together. I yeah. campaigned with his father wow. and I campaigned with his mother. But, you know, the power that your office and your position brings, Janet, that's that's the point. That's the larger point is that you you have the ability to affect change. Yeah. And, and thank you for the work that you're doing. Thanks um, for saying so. Yeah. Uh, Janet, tell me about Judy Camuso as a person. Can she leave the room first? Because, you know, you know um, Judy is fun. She's hardworking. I hate to use all these superlatives, but it's true. She's, uh, as I said, I had never met her, I don't think, until I interviewed her for the job. This committee had uh, sifted through hundreds of resumes for different cabinet positions. And it ended up, of the 15 cabinet positions, nine of them are women. And several of them I had never known before, but I interviewed her and I said, this is the person for the job. She's, she's out front. You know what? She says what she means. She means what she says and she knows her stuff. This is something she doesn't know. She'll study it up, study it and, and learn about it and be an expert in no time. So, you know, and she had, um, she went to the committee. We nominated her. There were obviously other people who wanted the job. But she seemed to be the most qualified, and I, I've never regretted it for a moment. The people in the legislature listen to her. She has credibility because um, she knows her stuff. She's honest and experienced. And so, you know, I, and I, of course, I know her as a sport now and, you know, fishing the Kennebec and the Canabago and everything in between. Ice fishing, that's always a challenge. We go out in, what, February, the always the coldest day of the year. Don't do it. Why is that? But um, she and her husband bring the pop-up shacks and uh, little burners and barbecue, maybe a little, maybe some fire, fire, what are they called? Fireball. Fireball nips, which do warm you up. Um, And, you know, bait the traps and everything's fun. And we jig and the chief justice was with us last month. And chief justice and I sat there, we looked like the, Cremation of Dan McGee and <laughs> those pop ups. We're jigging at different ice holes, you know. And I, after an hour, so I said, Well, I think I got to get, get out of here, you know. So we leave and I, whoop, there's a flag up. We both run to the flag, run to the trap. And I go, Oh, you, you take it. You, it's probably some little shove or something. Yeah. yeah. She pulls in the biggest bass of the day, not Judy, oh. the Chief Justice oh. of the Maine Supreme Court. Oh, who's fishing with us that day. Oh, and this is- I let her have the biggest fish of the day. Valerie, Valerie Stanfield. I know her well, yeah. Yeah, she's a good, yeah, Mount Vernon area. Yeah. So she loves to fish too. Yeah. So she's a kayaker. She, uh, yeah. she's a, a fly fisherman. Her, uh, her husband, John, from before, uh, and I guided together for yes, years. So right. I spent a lot of time with Valerie when she was just a lawyer and then naturally yeah. she escalated to the position that she deserves. She still likes to fish. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, any guided, any guys who want to invite all of us, <laughs> welcome the opportunity. Yeah, that's fair. So, uh, great. That's wonderful. And um, Judy, if you wouldn't mind, tell me what, you know, who's, who's Janet Mills to you? Uh, Governor Mills. Um, well, she's my boss, you know, so. <laughs> Good first um, response. <laughs> I mean, I think Governor Mills is probably the most intelligent person I know. Um, she's articulate and she, she can talk about any, and she knows everybody and she can talk about anything, any subject matter um, with just such fluency. And I'm usually, I'm like, mouth open and I just try not to say too much so I don't embarrass <laughs> myself. Um, but she's also super fun, down to earth, the most comfortable, easy person to be around. And, you know, she talks about um, going to George's and this was shortly after I was confirmed, you know, so I still didn't know her that well. Um, but we would go to George's for lunch and she wouldn't just bring lunch, but she would go and then she would set it up and then she would, she was the first, you know, female governor and she's doing the dishes. Yeah. She's clearing oh, the yeah. table. I felt bad for Linda and George. Like she's <laughs> so down to earth and she's like a real person. And that honestly, is not a standing invitation to invite me to dinner so I can do the dishes. <laughs> I think 
that's why people love her so much, yeah. you know, and she inspires hope. I think that's, you know, there's a sign in the office here that says hopeful, but I think more than anything, people are going to remember Governor Mills because she inspired hope in a very difficult, dark time for the state. She was hopeful, optimistic, positive, and she gave some everybody something to hold on to. She just got a raise. <laughs> No, I mean, no. During the pandemic, it was scary times, and Mm -hmm. I was glad that uh, you were doing, you were protecting me, you were protecting Sherry, Mm -hmm. you were protecting my mom uh, by setting up some of the guidelines that you did. And other governors were not taking that same step because they they were they were bending to the pressure. But um, that's kind of a um, so. Uh, Judy, uh, just to go back to you one last time, what do you want your legacy to be as a as a commissioner mm. when you leave? So, how do you want people to remember the yeah, work I, you've done? I guess I would like people to remember me as somebody that did good, good conservation, right? But m- mostly I want people to see my agency as a place where they fit and they belong and they're welcomed. So, you know, the outdoors are for everybody. I say this all the time. Um, the outdoors are for everyone. It doesn't matter your race your sex, your gender, your identity, the outdoors are for everybody. And I want my agency to be um, the agency that people come, regardless of their background, their demographics, their financial situations. Like I want everybody to feel welcome and included and like they have a space with us in the outdoors. I personally believe the more people, and I say this all the time, but the more people that care about the outdoors and the fish and wildlife of the state. That's my personal why. I want yeah. more people to care about fish and wildlife because once people care about them, they'll work to protect them. So I want as many people as possible outside connecting with nature and you know becoming passionate about mm-hmm. our fish and wildlife and our natural resources because I want all those people then to work to protect them. I can tell you through my lifetime that I've seen the image of the department transform. Mm-hmm. Uh, the wardens were not always the <laughs> yeah. most uh, professional uh, people to deal with, and they are now. Yeah. Um, I think you can see that through um, Northwoods Law. Yeah. That's, that was a great program. <laughs> yeah. I go, I mean, we went to Pennsylvania uh, to go get a new dog, and people were saying, Oh, you, you're from Maine. Really? And they all want to talk about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then all the sporting shows that you guys do yeah. and the outreach that you're doing yeah. and, the, and the wardens getting into classrooms, those are meaningful things. And getting people that are a professional, you know, letting someone have a warning instead of a violation, instead of saying, Hey, I got you. It's like, Hey, let me show you. Yeah. Excuse me. There's another thing that your department's doing, Judy, and we'll finish up in a minute, uh, that is really cool. And that is I know on your website you have uh, an interactive map of Maine now Mm -hmm. where you can zoom in on a pond and you can touch it and it'll tell you what the limits and the regulations are. That's fantastic. I've needed that for years. (laughs) Well, it's helpful in a lot of ways. It is. So um, I'm wondering if you put that into an app. Just so, to carry that back to the next. Um, you you may have gotten a survey from us in the past day or two because yes. we are looking to develop an app um, that will allow folks to both go online, buy their hunting license, buy their fishing license, look at the fishing regulations for a particular water body that they want that they want to hunt or fish on. It's so complicated. You know, um, so. But we're still in the beginning phases, and right now we're surveying the, our public to see what are the most important things that they would want to see in an app. Um, and so, and so we'll use that and work with our uh, Informe to help develop that app. And I, you know, we're hoping to have something to launch within the next year. I think it's a no-brainer. Yeah, it's great, and it'll be work great because imagine if you're a warden and you, and you want to say, well, you know. Right. This is where you think you are, but you're actually <laughs> yeah. here. And and so it's for an outreach right. perspective, I think oh, yeah. they're an invaluable tool. Yeah. Janet, what what would you like the people of the state of Maine to be the takeaway from your legacy? Well, I'm not ready for a legacy yet. I mean, I got <laughs> three and a half more years on this term. So uh, you still but, uh, uh, thanks for the question. I think, look, my first term was kind of marked by first. The first year was a lot of hope, a lot of uh, initiatives. Medicaid expansion, uh, fully funding IFNW and things of that sort, um, and fully funding education a couple of years ago, things of that sort. But um, and then COVID hit, and then you know, COVID marked the first term, my first term in office. Second term in office, I am not sure what the, the what the highlights or lowlights are going to be, but I hope that my legacy will be. Uh, to make sure that Maine is known as a welcoming state and that Maine is full of hope and compassion 
and respect for other people and respect for the outdoors. Um, I try to live by example when I, I go fishing, not just for myself, but to show that, hey, look, you two can be there. You two can do it. We don't take a TV camera when I fish because that would have uh, un- unintended consequences. But um, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> bad cast, bad cast. No, but, no I, I think um, Maine has been uplifting to me. I was born and raised here. And I think it is becoming more uplifting and inspiring to other people as, as well. We have four really robust seasons, as oh. you're very familiar. Uh, and uh, we now have uh, the high, one of the highest in-migration rates in the country and the highest in-migration rate in New England. So I want to make sure we remain welcoming and supportive of people coming here from other states and other countries, uh, but also that we avoid sprawl, that we, um, we're working on housing and transportation, healthcare issues. Uh, but I want us to be the, a forward-looking, forward-looking state that doesn't lose track of its roots Excellent. And, and values. That's a great, great answer, Janet. And I just want to take the opportunity as an ambassador of fly fishing in Maine uh, to thank you both for joining us today. It's great to have you on the Flyline Podcast. Thank you. Yeah. thank you. And I know you've talked about Fly Rod Crosby in the past oh, on yeah. other podcasts, but she, this is a woman who, yeah, please. you know, 120 something years, 130 years ago, was the first registered guide, not just the first woman guide, the first registered guide in the state Marketing. of Maine. And we're honoring her now. There's a statue of somebody oh, up in Franklin County made. And is, yeah. um, she would have been a constituent of yours. She would have been a constituent, yes. And, um, and of course, she was also very stylish. And she brought Teddy Roosevelt to Western Maine. She guided some really incredible um, history makers as well as regular people. But um, her history is, it's a living history every day in the state of Maine. Yeah. We like to honor people like that. And then, of course, um, Carrie Stevens from Rangeley area who invented, who tied uh, flies, invented the Grey Ghost exactly. uh, right. streamer, I think, and um, other flies. So we have a history of women in the outdoors in Maine. Uh, and um, Maine is more than just lighthouses. <laughs> Maine is a lot more than lighthouses, although we love them too. So much to explore, so much to explore. So we welcome all comers. Thank you, Janet. Really appreciate Thank you, Mike. Fun. Thanks for having us. That brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you for joining us for this intimate discussion. And thank you for listening to Flyline Podcast. A new Flyline Podcast episode will be released every two weeks on Tuesdays. So be sure to come back to meet our next famous guest. Until then, this is Michael Jones. Flyline Podcast is a product of Riverside FM. Riverside FM.